Hey everybody, welcome into the Grace Point Daily Podcast. I am Jeremiah Johnson. Thank you so much for joining us once again. I hope that you are enjoying the Grace Point Daily Podcast. We exist to bring you daily encouragement for your daily walk with Christ. So like it, share it, tell someone about it, listen to it in the car, in the shower, whatever. We just hope that it's an encouragement to you each and every day. I first off start by apologizing. We had a couple weeks of fasting and prayer here at Grace Point, the church. Along with that, we had an awesome conference this last week called Next Step. And so we were just busy. And I'll be honest, I was a little bit tired. So now we got to get back on the mic here and get you some great content to encourage you to live for Jesus. We're going to welcome back Rick Maynard with us for a verse-by-verse edition. Rick, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. How was your first podcast experience last week? Uh, a little nervous when you're <laughs> talking in the microphone and there's no uh, audience there. It's a little strange. The amazing dynamics of talking and talking with the microphone. There's a difference there. Yes. Uh, and then along with that, you were at the Next Step Conference. Did you enjoy that? I did enjoy it. It's always great to just kind of, I just love starting the year off with just a pursuit of God and just making God first, and that that's my favorite thing. Yes, and I, it was a great uh, time to see uh, Brother Perkins, former pastor here, brought back a lot of uh, memories of uh, 20 years ago or, or whatever that time frame was, but... And then just hearing the heart of the pastor and the pastor's wife, uh, it was just an awesome weekend. Yeah, it was great. And I encourage you, those of you that listen to the Grace Point Daily Podcast, there are two episodes with Pastor Perkins telling stories and sharing who he is. Really, really good stuff. I encourage you to listen to all our previous episodes, but there's some great content there as well. We're going to dive into it today in a verse-by-verse edition. Rick, where are we at? We are in uh, 2 Samuel 23. Uh, 14 and 15. I may have read these uh, last week, but we'll just kind of come back into that. Yeah, and remember this is verse by verse. So basically, Rick's just taking us through the Bible verse by verse, and we're just kind of seeing what God's Word is uh, has to speak to us from that. Okay, so I'll just start out. Um, this uh, is a time frame uh, we mentioned last week where we're in the last uh, words of David, not on a deathbed last words, but just uh, some of the last events of his life as he recalls uh, some of the people that were uh, important to him, that were influential uh, in his life, that helped him in battles or whatever it may have been. So so I'll just read uh, 23, 14, and 15. And again, uh, this is probably something from last week. But at that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. Uh, Again, we mentioned it's about six miles, so the Philistines that had always been uh, a problem for the Israelites, a problem for David, uh, they had pushed almost to the capital uh, there. So in this uh, verse, David never had the intention of someone getting him a drink. It was just a, a fond statement for something that he remembered something that would taste good at a at a rough time uh, in his life there was never an intention uh, for someone to actually go get him a drink it's like the jeremiah johnson version would be oh that someone would just take me to buffalo wild wings yes yes <laughs> and the chances are probably not good and <laughs> and if they did I, you probably wouldn't do what david did with those but uh, but anyway we'll read on what david did with the with the water uh, 2316, so the three mighty men broke through the enemy lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, 
and carried it back to David, but he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Uh, these guys misunderstood David. You know, they thought he literally wanted a drink of water. They thought that David would be so proud of them for uh, for doing what he asked. Uh, as a great leader, they're following their leader. They're doing all these things, but uh, it wasn't that. And I, I thought, you know, it's a it seems a bit drastic that these guys risk their lives uh, to do this for David. Um, and then, you know, how ungrateful he was to just pour it out on the ground, <laughs> you know, when they got back. I, I can't imagine what they must have thought. We don't have their words, mm-hmm. but I can't imagine what they must have thought when they yeah. showed up with that water and he poured it out on the ground. So, um, and the, if we're jump ahead just a little, but we're going to take a little detour here. But uh, in verse 17, and I'm not going to read that right now because we'll come back to it. But um, these guys had risked their life. And verse 17, it says, as if it were blood. In other words, that's how the risk was, as if he was having to pour their blood out uh, on the ground because it was such a great uh, risk. So the significance to that verse, it says he refused to drink it, and we can think that's drastic and that's not very uh, considerate of him. But it says he poured it out before the Lord. And so there's... There's a spiritual uh, significance there, and that's where we're going to take a little bit of a, a detour uh, in this. Um, I do this frequently because uh, we want to understand the times, what was going on, what something meant. Uh, if you don't understand, then you do look at it as a situation where you just poured it out on the ground. And so um, we're going to talk about uh, water libations or the pouring out or water drawing and most of this uh, or all of this really comes from really the the Jewish culture okay and the pouring out of water was uh, one of the festivals and it was the festival of booths or Sukkot um, now there, you don't have to be Jewish to uh, participate in some of the feast I know uh, they have some of these things at uh, Lake the Ozarks, different places that you can actually go and and participate uh, in some of the feast and just to get some of the meaning behind it. Hmm. The You know, the Jewish people understood, and I think that's part of it. I'm not Jewish. Um, I've studied some of it. I've read some interesting things. I've taught some things. Uh, I'm by no means an expert, so if there's a a Jewish person listening, you know, out there, they may be able to uh, correct me or they want, might want to correct me. You do have a shofar, though. I do have a shofar. So there's, <laughs> you know, I'm a tenth Jewish by having a shofar. <laughs> and I can blow it, so that's another tenth on Me there. too. So uh, anyway, uh, this festival of booths uh, was required for all the Jewish men. Uh, ladies didn't have to attend. Uh, when I talk about having those uh, in different places, uh my wife Stella uh, talked about when she was a kid, they weren't Jewish either, but they participated in some of those things. And it was a uh, not a great uh, religious experience at the time because uh, what they were involved in and the church they were in- involved in uh, became a little bit cultish. And so uh, at the Sukkot time when they had this Feast of Tabernacles and all of those things, uh, the main guy would arrive in a helicopter and you know he would land on the grounds and all the people would follow him into the temple and 
you know, it was uh, a lot of man worship and not a lot of God worship. Mm. So you can take any of these things. Right, and, yeah. <laughs> and turn them into what they're not meant to be. Mm. So, and, and the other thing about all the feasts that people don't realize is that they all pointed toward Jesus. And so these people who were doing things, they were just following commands about what they were supposed to do. But they weren't really looking. They were on the other side of things. They were on the other right. side of the crucifixion. Uh, they weren't looking at what uh, messianic uh, things were involved in this. So yeah, and we we I was talking to someone last night about not necessarily that in particular, but we were just talking about Old Testament things, and really trying to shoot this individual, just trying to really seek out the meaning of some of the specific things, and and kind of the overall point is that, like I said, all those were pointing to that which would come through Jesus Christ. And so it's hard to, as we look at it now, because it's, it's hard to really connect the dots because for them, that was critical. That was important Right. for us. There's, you know, we should have a recognition and an understanding and a greater appreciation that all of that has come to fruition through Jesus Christ, but we don't have to do a lot of those things right. anymore. I just, right. I, and I always joke too, every time I talk, start diving in deep to the old Testament, I'm like, man, I would have just, been completely torched by God if I was in the Old Testament because I would have been like, oh, I forgot to wash my hands. Oh, yeah. no, I forgot that. Like, you know, it was just there's so much stuff. Yep, so many rules and regulations. And I've actually said sometimes that maybe it'd be easier to live back then where you just knew exactly what the rules were because we argue so much about, <laughs> right. well, is this okay and is that okay? They had a list, you know, of what was okay and right. not okay. Yeah, true. And yep. so, uh, <laughs> I don't think I want to go back there. I'll, I'll live under grace and mercy, you yes, know, not under that, but, um, but, uh, this feast and, and we'll jump over, uh, into the new Testament because, uh, we're going to try to tie this together. But in John seven, three and four, it's talking about this feast. It says, uh, this is Jesus brothers who really at this time were not believers and who he was. Uh, we don't know uh, exactly how Jesus was as a child. You know, if the brothers were jealous, if he was, you know, the goody two-shoes of the family and there was a lot of jealousy. You know, we just don't have much information about that. I do think that's interesting, and it would be fun to have more information regarding that, you know, when you when you ponder that, what Jesus was like as a teenager, as a kid, as a young adult, etc. Yeah. Well, you have to know that, that he must not have been doing miracles as a child or they would have believed. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they would have seen uh, what he did, if he was turning water into wine when he was seven. Right. You know. Yeah, that, I was going to say, that's a, this is a horrible illustration, but I'm going to my Star Wars, uh, you know, recollection of some of the, mm-hmm. when they learn their young Jedis and they're using, their, using the force at a young age and they're like, whoa, I can do these things. I'm sure Jesus didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. He was greater a, than a Jedi, but yeah. you know <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't a show off. So. Yeah, right. But uh, the brothers say to him in these verses, they said, "Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may behold your works which you are doing." So apparently they had seen something. Uh, For no one does anything in secret when he himself seems or seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So I don't know if they'd seen things or if they'd just heard what he was doing, but there's a, a note of sarcasm there. You know, if you're who you say you are, just like other people, mm-hmm. if you're who you say, then show us a miracle. Yeah. You know, why are you hiding out? Because Jesus many times said, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And uh, 
you and, and you find that in uh, we're kind of skipping ahead we're not reading every verse in John but in 6 and 8 he says to them my time has not yet there's not yet at hand go up to the feast yourselves i do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come in other words i'm you know i'm not going with you i'm going to keep a low profile but he's he does show up we know that in the in the following verses so uh it was this was called the season of rejoicing this time at Sukkot and from Leviticus where it talks about these feasts it says you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days so uh, there was some command about it a lot of the feast uh, some things were added not every little detail was you know God said do this and do this and wash your hands and do this and you know not every detail was there so some of it was um, man-made but it was a time uh, of rejoicing, hmm. and it was a 24-hour day celebration. And most of that comes from uh, historical uh, things about the feast. It wasn't, you know, we don't have every detail of what they did and uh, in the text, but in some of the historical things, uh, it, it gives us the story of what would happen at that particular feast. And so um, I had a guy one time, I, I was putting on a little production, and and uh, after it was over, he came up to me and, you know, I had worked really hard on it and <laughs> and uh, spent time and fasted and prayed and, you know, really worked hard on this thing. And he came up afterwards and, you know, you expect some, oh, good job, good job, you know. I mean, that's just the natural thing that we uh, we want to know that we did well. And he came up and he said, uh, where is that in the Bible? And I said, well, it's not in the Bible. It's, you know, historical facts or whatever. Well, I didn't think so. He said, and he turned around and walked off. So uh, if it wasn't word for word in the Bible to him, yeah. then it, it didn't have any meaning. So, uh, But I, I love one of the descriptions, and this, this is very relevant for the church today. It says there was singing, dancing, clapping, musical instrument. And then the next line of that says, each to the best of their ability. So that rejoicing and praise was whatever you can do. Not everybody plays an instrument. Not everybody mm. has a great voice. Um, I, I made, I won't mention names, but we talked in Sunday school class about a, a lady that used to go to church here, and I'm telling you, she couldn't clap her hands. <laughs> she couldn't stay on the beat and clap her hands. And so, you know, not everybody's talented in every way for rejoicing and in worship, and so you can't stand, and it, it's hard because if you're on the platform looking out, it's hard to not make judgments on whether people worship like you think they should. I have a list called, you know, fat, I'm, fads that I'm glad died in the church, and one of them is the random tambourine lady, you know, that just <laughs> yes. brought her tam- her own tambourine to the, the church and <laughs> felt as if, you know, she was a part of the band. You know? uh, yeah. And it wouldn't be bad if she was any good right. at it, too. That's usually <laughs> the problem with that, but... But I love that anyway. To, to I haven't each, seen any washboards here yet, you know, in southern Missouri. You know, well, no one's rolled in with a washboard or anything. Uh, <laughs> look out for this coming Sunday now that you've mentioned it. So, But uh, part of this, too, and, and uh, you know, Pastor probably should uh, uh, close his ears on this one, but um, they were supposed to bring offerings, tithes, offerings, uh, sacrifices uh, to this uh, celebration. But if they, if not, they could sell their animal and bring the tithe money with them. But it also says, I'm not reading the scripture today, but it is in the scripture. It talks about that they were to spend their tithe on, their, on themselves for their food, 
their shelter, their... So in other words, that's how important this um, um, feast was that, that God even said, spend your tithe on this. So it was like, not, not so people could uh, just randomly, hey, now I can blow my tithes on myself this week. But what I was saying was, if you can't afford it, you know, if you can't come to the feast, it's more important to come to the feast. If you have to spend your tithe money to get here, then mm. you spend your tithe money to get here. That was how important yeah. it was. Interesting. So uh, the, the ceremony itself, it, it had to, it, the main thing it had to do with was asking rainfall for the coming year. So uh, the way this would work was they blow the shofar, they come to the Pool of Siloam, which we've um, heard about in the, uh, in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one interesting I, I, I found, it talks about living water. So the water that they drew out of that uh, pool of Siloam had, was considered living water. And the, the biblical definition for that was naturally flowing water that had not been artificially manipulated by plumbing. In other words, uh, for us today, it would be a river, a stream, a fountain, whatever, that had not been channeled to bring. And I, I thought, and we know what's coming if you you know, if you've read the Bible at all, you know what's coming with the living water and Jesus' declaration about that. Yeah. But naturally flowing water that has not been artificially manipulated. Hmm. Now, that's a pretty awesome thing to yeah, say about I like that. Jesus himself, you know, when he claims this. So um, they, would, they would go once around the altar for seven days. The seventh day, one time around, uh, the priest would ascend uh, a tower to the top, pour the water out. Uh, and then after all that was done, then it would be repeated in the evening or the afternoon, then repeated in the morning again. And so, uh, you know, you, if you think about this practically, it's like how would you, you know, go to a feast for seven days? When do you sleep? Yeah. And <laughs> so I, I want to read, uh, this is from a book I have called King of the Jews, and it's a very Jewish-oriented, uh, but it says... Uh, in reference to this, the, the idea about sleeping, it says, It was taught Rabbi Yehoshua, uh, the priest said, when, when we used to rejoice during the house of the water drawing, our eyes saw no sleep. How is that possible? The first hour we were busy with the morning continual burn offering. After that we finished the morning prayers. After that we offered the additional festival sacrifices, followed by the prayers that accompanied the additional sacrifices. Then to the house of study... And from there we went eating and drinking. By then, it was time for the afternoon prayers, accompanied by the afternoon ceremonial burn offering, and after that, the rejoicing at the house of the water drawing, which went on all night. What we really meant was this. We did not enjoy a proper night's sleep because they dozed on one another's shoulders. And I thought, Hmm. isn't it amazing that, you know, they knew how to celebrate yeah. I mean, they knew, and and what God said meant something. And I thought, how far we are away from that. Yes, yeah. You know, I mean, Stella and I talked about the fact that, you know, the three-night revival, as much as I love to come to church, you know, you're tired, you come in, you've <laughs> right, worked, yep. and, uh, you know, they were basically giving up vacation time, you know, to attend these things. I don't know how vacation time worked for them and <laughs> during that time. But, you know, we're so spoiled now with yeah. 
with our fatigue and I'm tired and I can't stand up and I, you know, I just don't feel like worshiping tonight or whatever. Um, yeah. Motivated, uh, you know, motivated by the meaning and I'm not trying to get away from the topic, but mm -hmm. even last night we were talking about, um, I, I posed the question, what do you do after a move of God? So, right. you know, you spend these three days, you're just, whoa, God's moving powerfully. Then what do you do after that? You know, mm -hmm. how do you, and so we're talking about the character characteristics of the new Testament church. But uh, one of the things that I, I brought was just that there, how valuable the meaning of the resurrection and the return of Christ completely dominated their thinking and their mindset in terms of doing the work of God. And, you know, again, and what I'm trying to connect here is in the Old Testament is like how much the me meaning of God's mm -hmm. uh, commands altered their lifestyle. Right. right. So their, the New Testament church, their whole life was altered by the reality that there is a resurrected Jesus and that he's returning. Right. And then now their whole life was going to be altered by those two dynamics and those realities. Do we function like that? Do we, I mean, do we alter our whole lifestyle based off of those two realities, which are true? Jesus is resurrected. He's returning. So that now changes the trajectory of my life. And for the Old Testament people, how much they had to alter their lifestyle based on the truth of God's word and his commands. Right. And I don't think... I don't think they went to the feast because they had to, you know? I mean, we could look at it and say, well, God commanded it, and so, you know, they have to do it. I, I remember going to Mexico one time, and I was uh, listening. You know, we were basically having a service out in the dump and, you know, where people had nothing, and there was one little light bulb lighting up the church area, and they were singing, and, and I, I heard one of the women, you know, just crying and talking about how thankful she was for everything the Lord had done for her and you know and of course my thinking was thankful for what you know but <laughs> but I'm thinking more of material right. know, issues yes, and yes. they were just thankful that for what had uh, what God meant to them and I remember coming back and telling that to people and one of the responses was because I said you know they go to church every night and they don't have the modern you know, bathrooms and the lighting and all of that, but they go every night and somebody made a statement, well, yeah, but they don't have anything better to do. And I, I thought, what, <laughs> what is it we have that's so much better to do than, yeah, you know, than church or, or rejoicing, you know? I, I, I used to play, I used to joke around that with Trinity Bible College students because I went to school in Minneapolis and they like lived, that school was out in the middle of nowhere in in North Dakota. So they would come to our district council meetings and be like, God's just really moving at Trinity this year. And that was always my joke. Like, well, you, that's because you don't have anything else to do but right. to pray. <laughs> like in Minneapolis, we have cool stuff to do, okay? Yeah. Like we, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah, but we get like that, don't we? You know, where um, we just don't, again, we just don't value God, his presence in our life on just a continual basis. It's right. just God is very optional for us. Yep, in very our culture. If it's convenient, yeah. If it's convenient, that's usually the the issue. But uh, John seven twenty six again, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but it says, "Look, he is speaking publicly, and they are saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Messiah, do they?" So, you know, they were still uh, the people didn't even really know who he was yet. So. Uh, this is a, a very strong possibility, and again, we don't know uh, the details of the story because we only have a few verses, but there's a possibility that while that water was being poured out, 
that Jesus spoke the words uh, in John 7, 37 and 38. It says, If anyone is thirsty, thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And there's that living water that we just mentioned. And again, if you look back at that definition, naturally flowing water that has not been artificially manipulated. That is Jesus' living water. And it's not from our innermost being will flow living water. It's from his innermost being will flow living water. Yeah, amen. That's good. And so uh, this this feast uh, is where they would have palm branches they would throw down and... You know, most people think about that more at Passover. And so some of the study that I did on that, uh, it, it was talking about that, that there was a feeling that maybe what he had proclaimed at the Feast of Sukkot, that when he came to Passover and they began to lay down the palm branches and those kinds of things, that it was like, okay, you said it, now let's finish what you, what you said. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was a finishing up of the... Uh, Passover or at Passover, so. So getting back to David, right? That the, all everything we just said was connected to that right. pouring of water, right? That right. David did, right? So I guess my question is: so was David was that good or bad what he did? Well, after it, after all that diving into what that meaning, I and, think you know for him, and I have we got time for one more verse? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let me let me read verse seventeen, and then we'll kind of come back to that. David says, and this is in reference to the water, says, Far be it from me, O Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? We mentioned that. And David would not drink it. Such were the exploits of the three mighty men. So they had risked their lives. David makes a statement that, uh, you know, that it's as if blood, they, they took their own blood or shed their own blood or risked their own blood uh, for this. But I'll finish up with this. David probably learned a lot, or not probably, David learned a lot from his mistakes. And if you've studied the Bible at all, you know the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, everything that happened there. But I want to read just a verse from that story. And this is when uh, David is trying to get rid of Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And, you know, he's he's got all these conniving ways to... Uh, to get rid of him, and he brings him home and from the war and tells him to go sleep with his wife and to have uh, food and drink and, you know, to mm-hmm. relax. And I love th- this, and this is Second Samuel eleven eleven. It says, Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open field. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife, as surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. Uriah was saying to David, you know, I'm not going to live in luxury while the men who are fighting for me are out there in the field. He wouldn't even go sleep with his wife. He wouldn't go have good food and good drink because his men couldn't do it. And so David comes back with this pouring out of the water not just probably thinking about himself, but thinking, how can I do this? How can I get this great water from this fountain in Bethlehem? How can I drink that water while everybody else is drinking whatever supply of water they had? Maybe they 
got it from the river or we don't know. But David says, basically, I can't, I can't drink this because I won't do it when my men can't have it too. Hmm. It's kind of wow. like the old thing in, in school where people, the teacher would say, if you don't bring enough candy for everybody, you can't have candy. Mm-hmm. You know, And I think that was a little bit of David's uh, feeling there that if they can't have it, I won't have it. And the, the tie to it, and again, you can make something out of nothing sometimes. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you can try to say, well, he did this because it was, but uh, this happened at the time that it would have been the Feast of Sukkot, that David was in this position, in this stronghold. So, uh, you know, maybe he was thinking about where he would like to be, you know, that he would like to be pouring the water out or at least be there for that ceremony. Uh, but it's, you know, if it was out of, um, dislike for what they have done. It would have just said David just poured the water out, hmm. you know. But it says David poured the water out before the Lord. Wow! So there was a sacrifice. I just kind of take that as a lesson on appreciation too. For me personally, as a pastor, I think of the people in our church here right now, and people in churches that I've served in the past that are making sacrifices and doing the work of the Lord. And sometimes we as leaders kind of bypass that or look over the sacrifice that they're making, you know, that they're, they're literally giving their lives to bring us a gift. And we just kind of look at it as maybe insignificant or, but just learning to appreciate or to value the sacrifices that uh, maybe not just, just as a pastor to, you know, leaders around you, but the people that God positions or places in our lives that are making sacrifices and sometimes risking their lives to try and be a blessing to us. And we don't acknowledge or appreciate that or see that, or sometimes we bat bypass over that. And then we can get in that place too, sometimes where we expect people to do it. You know, we just expect, I'm just thinking of that passage Rachel, Pastor Rachel read on Saturday night, where he's talking about the sheep, mm-hmm. uh, and that we just, you know, we're taking from them, and but we're not serving, and we're not giving, and right. we've got to be careful not to get in that mode where we just always expect um, things from people around us, or from God, etc., uh, those those blessings and those gifts. Yeah, I think uh, when you were talking during the conference about, you know, how uh, Brother Henson and and uh, Brother Perkins and everyone has had a, a part in all of this, and I think of all those, uh, the, the leadership, in other words, but I also think about, when you were talking about that, I, I had to think about all the people, you know, yeah. we've talked about it, joked about it, how long I've been in the church, <laughs> but all of those people, that paved the way, and they're just like, I, I think they deserve the same recognition yes. almost as those yep. in Hebrews when it said they all died yes. without seeing the promise. Yep. There were people who sacrificed and gave uh, for this church for many years, and then uh, they passed on and never saw the revival they were praying for, yep. never saw the move of God. Yeah, wow. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for joining on this verse-by-verse edition. Hey, if you want to chime in, give us some thoughts, input. You can always go to gracepointdaily at gmail.com. But keep joining us week after week. Pastor, I almost said Pastor Rick. There you go. Uh, Rick is going to be continuing to take us through the Word, and it's been great and rich. I hope it's encouraged you. So thank you for joining us, and I will talk to you next time.